Today is the sixth day of our September, October, seven-day session. It's the 4th of October, 2019. And we're going to continue today uh, reading from Subtle Sound, the Zen teachings of Maureen Stewart, edited by Roko Sherry Chayat. And the section that we're reading from today is called Ordinary Mind. Somebody said to me, it says in the precepts that I should not become intoxicated. I am intoxicated by Zazen. Indeed, this is a wonderful addiction. Drench yourself in it. Drink as much as you like. More, more, more. With this kind of intoxication, we become more in touch with everything. Literally and figuratively, our senses become very keen. We smell, taste and touch with a new kind of awareness and the intuitive mind becomes more sensitive as well. Um, Sometimes um, Zen is called a poison. And it's a a toxin um, to our... um, Ego delusion, as Master Hakun puts it in the chant. She goes on, We find that there is less confusion in our lives, that we are more wide awake. We create confusion with our thoughts. And when, when the thoughts begin to subside, then things can become clearer. What we're doing, where we're going, can become clearer. By committing ourselves completely to our zazen, By accepting everything just as it comes, we become freer, more open, more alert, more vividly alive, sparkling. Each of us contributes in our own way, working with whatever is given to do working at whatever is given to us to do with mindfulness and gratitude to this practice. We just do it with our whole being. This place is glitteringly clean as a result, and this makes our practice go more clearly, sashin go more smoothly. Uh, that, that applies to this place too. This is, there's this intimate connection between our mind and our environment and so our, our keeping things in order is is done to support our getting ourselves in order I always feel when, when I come in the zendo um, at, at 9.30 um, and see all the cushions 
the mats all um, arranged and smooth, that it, you feel a kind of lift in 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 your spirits. It's like it's like the zendo has been ref- refreshed, and we are refreshed, and it it feels like we can be ready for another day of of zazen. And it's not it's not easy sitting um, ten or twelve hours a day. It's painful, and we can we can often feel kind of um, crumpled, sore, tired, sleepy. And um, the zendo, beautifully cleaned, sparkling, can help us keep going even in spite of the, those that that um, feeling of being kind of battered about by the practice. This is our zazen, really going into daily life, clearly offering ourselves for the sake of all sentient beings and grateful to all sentient beings for what they're doing. Gratitude and giving, these are two such fundamental aspects of our lives. We can connect gratitude with, with our breathing in and then our giving, our offering ourselves with our breathing out. It can become as natural as breathing. She continues, in drenching ourselves in this zazen bath, we are giving up our fixed positions, giving up our past, our thoughts of the future. We are just here, eating the food of the moment, bite after bite. We know there are no quick solutions to our personal koans, no sidetracks, no quick exits. We cannot blame our problems or our relationship on somebody else relationships on somebody else. We have to take full responsibility sitting here with ourselves. Nobody can do this for us. This is a a very important point. There is work that that, um, we have to do ourselves. Master, Master Joshua, he was once asked about the Dharma and he he said something like it, it is the the wonder of the fact that when I need to relieve myself, no one can do it for me. I have to do it myself. We seek security, we seek peace of mind. But we cannot grasp anything. Everything is continually changing. When we see this, we no longer are bound by the need for security. We are suspended here in a place in which the only thing to do is get in touch with the teachings and ourselves. The only place in which to begin is with ourselves. Nobody can do this for us. Nobody can carry our packages. Nobody can bear our burdens. We have to work with the richness of our own experience in everyday life. 
we're no longer bound by the need for security or for the other things that we that we tend to um, cling to or, or wish for love recognition control is, is a big one for many of us respect all of these things are uh, perfectly worthwhile but but unreliable and when we when we let go of them then we we find such freedom and rich riches as well the riches of our own experience moment by moment when we turn towards it all when we when we stop running from it what a relief we only know whether things are cool or warm when we experience them ourselves somebody else can't say to us that's cold we must taste it feel it we cannot take the reports of other people's experience as our own if you put your hand on your heart it does not beat because you think about making it beat nor do you need a medical definition of what a heart is a power beyond definition is making it beat a power beyond definition beyond anything we can say about it or think about it can we trust in that power open ourselves to that power we may may use words to help us turn our attention towards this this indefinable power we may call it mu or this but these words are are just kind of like placeholders they remind us it is to send us in the right direction direction to dive into this mystery the basis of our zen practice is the reality of our life which goes beyond all definitions beyond any words that reality cannot be buckled up in a definition we can't put it in a little pigeon hole and say there i have it neatly tucked away i think of what um walt whitman said a mouse is miracle enough to stagger sextillions of infidels he also said in the same poem a blade of grass is the journey work of the stars or a leaf of grass is a is the journey work of the stars
Each of us is the journey work of the stars. We are responsible for ourselves as followers of the Dharma. The path and the inspiration are up to each one of us. As far as our way is concerned, human beings are extremely important, but we must not interfere with one another. We must have wisdom as well as compassion in our actions. What is this compassion? Somebody told me he had heard stories about how lacking in compassion Zen practice in Japan was, that it was so cold and austere. This does not seem to me to be what Zen is about. Compassion and wisdom, karuna and prajna, are our practice. One without the other is no good. Compassion without wisdom is mushy. Wisdom without compassion is cold. There's uh, something about this in the, in the Vermalakirti Sutra. There, there it says, Compassion without wisdom is bondage. Wisdom without compassion is bondage. Compassion without wisdom is bondage because uh, it's all very well to, f- to feel other people's pain but without the wisdom, we won't necessarily know how to skillfully relieve that suffering. So our compassion will be ineffectual. And the whole point of compassion is, is responding to and alleviating suffering. Wisdom without compassion is bondage because there's not the motivation there to relieve suffering, even if one has a uh, relatively clear view of things. And then what's the point if there's no reaching out to suffering beings? Uh, Master Sheng Yen says this about wisdom and compassion. In Chan Buddhism, wisdom and compassion are inseparable In Chan practice, you cultivate wisdom, which is the absence of self-centeredness. You can only be absent from self-centeredness, however, free from it, if you have compassion, an awareness of the suffering of all sentient beings. Compassion allows you to give selflessly. If you are selfish, you will not have much compassion or wisdom. Therefore, wisdom and compassion are inexorably linked. If there's only wisdom, your practice is incomplete. How do we show compassion? Calm passion, with passion, with fire, with energy, with life. A very simple way to show our compassion 
in Sishin is to leave the bathroom clean so that the next person who finds it comes into a wonderful place. But we don't leave a little sign there saying, I did this for you. It's just done. And there is that clean place. Something like this is, is, it seems little, but there's a lot to it. You have this, this uh, saying in, in Zen about leaving no traces. But really what that means is that we, we are acting um, with an awareness that goes beyond our own narrow self-interest. We're, we're acting with all beings, as we, as we say in the, in the refuges. Another way to show compassion is to do our work completely on our own for the sake of the persons who come after us. We are independent and dependent on one another. And each of us must be as clear as possible about our condition. Then we may be depended upon. This is a wonderful aspiration to have, to be dependable. Really, this is the, this is the, the is bodhicitta. to be dependable, to be um, truly living our interconnectedness. Making that interconnectedness real in our lives rather than just an idea. She goes on, I read a story about a monk who applied for acceptance to a monastery while sitting in front of the monastery gate, he saw somebody coming up the road with a big package. He jumped up from his place by the gate and rushed down to take the package from that person. And the abbot of the monastery expelled him on the spot. Does that seem uncompassionate? This is a story to tell us that we must each carry our own stuff and grow and learn from it and ripen. When we are sitting at the gate, if we are ripe, we will know when to offer help and when to allow the person to carry his or her own burden, do his or her own work. We are here to help one another, to support one another, but not to interfere and not to take on someone else's pain or burden. We feel one, one another's pain since we are of one body, one mind, but we must allow each other our own experience and contribute in our own way. I think we this is this is an important teaching, but we have to also be a little careful here not to take the story too literally, because it could be come a kind of excuse for our staying on the sidelines and not responding and helping when when that's needed not responding, for example, to injustice that we see where um, a response, speaking up, 
could uh, be helpful. But what the story really is pointing to is more not um, thinking we can um, relieve people of their, their spiritual burdens. We can sometimes be uh, wanting to help in order to relieve our own mind of, of the pain of seeing somebody in pain. It's not, not interfering um, is, is one of the, the, the koans for a teacher working with a student. If, if too much is explained, then the teacher may rob the student of the opportunity to work things out, discover them for, for him or herself. It's also a big thing in the parent-child relationship when to let your child go out and make her own mistakes. When to, when to um, offer help and when to, to keep quiet. We are here to get rid of confusion about such matters. And it is entirely up to each one of us to dispel that confusion. What does it mean to have compassion? What does it mean to have wisdom? Our practice is one of intuitive awareness. It's not a matter of calling, calling some rule up, saying, Oh, it's, this is the fifth P-script I must follow here. What does the occasion ask from us? In the spontaneity and creativity of Zen, we see what really exists. Opinions merely clog things up. We lose the essence when we judge. When we see what is in front of us, we experience this ordinary mind, this radiant, spontaneous, ordinary mind on the way. Precepts um, are, in fact, useful, can be useful to help guide us. Um, they are, in fact, protective of us and others and of our, of our mind stream, what we, what we put into our mind stream. But um, it always involves interpretation, um, and that means uh, it depends on our mind. So they're not they're not uh, going to cover everything, every situation that arises. While sitting in Zazen, if we let go of our bodies, remove our minds, what do we have? A clear, pure condition free from delusions. 
In this condition, we are like a flash of lightning, free to come, free to go, free to feel pain, free to grow old, free to die, free to express our Zen in our own way, to express our Buddha nature in everything we do, think, speak, and act. It sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it does sound idyllic. And um, we can... We can get hung up when we hear things like this because we can feel very, very far from this kind of state. Maybe we get inklings of it, moments of it, of the sense of freedom. And, and they can reinforce our faith if we let them. We know that this, this kind of um, clear, pure condition is possible and if we experience it um, for a few moments at one time, that means it's possible to experience it again and to deepen and broaden our experience of it. She mentions here about um, expressing our Zen in our own way and connecting with our Buddha nature in everything we do, think, speak and act this is a this is a very uh, noble aspiration to have actually to to long to live truth moment by moment in how we act how we think how we speak how we dream Something along these lines was was uh, there for me at the start of practice, um, among among other things. But one thing that that prompted this 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 longing was um, reading poetry and and being able to get into a kind of poetry samadhi, where the world would would become very vast and wide. that I wanted to be able to have that experience not relying on poetry. I mean, one of the, one of the values of art is its ability to open us to these, these per, wider perspectives. But you can't always be reading poetry, and that's not the, the point isn't to get attached to the reading, but to touch on this... this wider world deeper truth but how wonderful it would be to be able to live our lives as poetry to, to be able to sense and experience the poetry that exists in every moment of every day Our Zazen practice requires intense nen, or present mind. This word nen, um, we chant it when we do the, the, um, 
the ten verse Kanon Sutra. This moment arises from mind. This moment itself is mind. It's a hard one to to translate and fit into into a chant, and so we 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 say this word mind. But um, the most literal meaning of nen is is thought moment, or as as uh, Maureen Stewart has here, present mind hyphenated. She says, as our Zen practice requires intense nen, or present mind. Intense nen. This means um, intense moment by moment attention. But she says, but to this nen, we add the Bodhisattva's vow that we and all beings together may attain true wisdom. This is what we what we chant in our in our refuges. I take refuge in Buddha and vow that with all beings I will understand the great way whereby the Buddha seed may forever thrive. We're not we're not going off ahead of everybody, and um, attaining Buddhahood. We're we're coming along with everybody. This helps to to break down this this very ingrained attitude we have in us, of I must be first. Or, I must have the biggest piece of cake. So you see this in small children, how this this attitude is there, checking out the size of the, the person next to you's cake, seeing if which one's the bigger one. And it's almost always the other person's cake that's bigger. But we do, um, people do struggle with this um, bodhisattva vow. We were talking about it earlier in Sushin. Um, common question that comes up is, well, um, how can I even think about being a bodhisattva when I can't really help myself? Still got a long way to go on that. And uh, it's, an, it's, it's not strange to think this way. But one way to look at it is to realize the importance in Buddhism of intention. Making vows. Master Sheng Yin says, if your intention is alive, persistent, 
sorry, if your intention is active, persistent, and strengthened with vows, eventually helping others becomes effortless and natural. So to when we're when we're struggling we can um, reconnect with our intention and and persist actively no doubt this is why we we in Sishin chant the four vows so often it's to help to help um, strengthen our practice Master Shingen also talks about how um, we can offer help to others whether it's spiritual help or psychological help material help to um, even when we're we're vulnerable in many ways struggling even he gives the example um, of a person dying of cancer and how um, she didn't have to cure her cancer in order to be able to help other people. And in fact, she, this person he was referring to did help other people with cancer. And she could do that because she had some experience that she could act from. But it didn't mean she had to be, be um, no longer sick. She could still help others. She says about adding the Bodhisattva vow to our Nen, that we and all beings together may attain true wisdom. She says, with this vow, our dualistic, discriminating mind disappears. We no longer think, I am doing this work. I am doing this practice. This is my practice. All of this melts, and we come to feel that subject and object in-breath and out-breath are one. We inhale the whole universe, exhale to the whole universe. There is no gate between us and it. This is, this is really the, the secret to our practice, to let, to let ourselves be breathed, to allow the koan to work on us, To, to surrender to the process. All Zen stories are about the same thing. There are different scenes, different characters, but they all help us to see more clearly into our true nature, our Buddha nature, the ground of our being, whatever we want to call it. Koans and rituals do not just pertain to ancient times. 
We not, must not let them become mere forms. We must be careful not to treat like old dregs. We must say, let me say that again. We must not, we must be careful not to treat the old like dregs from the past and not to see the new as imitations. When truly alive people make use of these koans, then they become vividly present. Distinctions between old and new are gone. Each koan is our koan. We must come forth in solitary freedom, independently. We must come forth in solitary freedom, independently. said that when the Buddha was born, he said, above the heavens, below the heavens, I am the only one. This, this refers to each and every one of us. The clarification of the true self is none other than this practice that we are engaged in. No one can teach us about it. No one can give it to us. We must find out for ourselves, clearly and independently. No teacher can give us anything which we don't already have. We need practice because it's it's so easy for us to lose sight of our aspiration. We need we need a way of, of reminding ourselves of what that aspiration is, articulating it, and we do this by, through our, our investigation of the practice. Um, and the and the, the structure of sishin, the, the vows, the chanting, bowing, are all ways to to jog our memory, have us um, stay in touch with why we're doing what we're doing. Then we can we can remember that that we long to. Live each moment in connection with our, our Buddha nature, our, tr- our true self. Again, Zen doesn't s- talk much or say much about love, but we could certainly say that this aspiration is an aspiration to live each moment in true love. The Sufis use this language a lot. They talk about um, living in the embrace of the lover. 
lover and beloved uh, in union. Also sometimes talk about this beloved as the, the friend with a capital F. To, to uh, find out a true friend. Before um, coming here, shortly before, um, I was listening to the radio and they, they played a song by... Um, uh, being sung by Daniel Johnston. Some of you may know who he is. He's um, written many fine songs and he, who's known as the um, godfather of, of bedroom pop. Um, uh, he worked mostly in, obscure, in um, complete obscurity, uh, making tapes in the, in the basement of his parents' house. But um, many fine songwriters... Uh, admired him a lot and um, his songs would be sung by um, well-known singers but they played one of his songs with him singing it and um, very moving the way it was sung I'm not going to try and um, reproduce that but the the lyrics uh, really we can we can apply these to our practice is very simple and short. They go like this. True love will find you in the end. You'll find out just who was your friend. Don't be sad. I know you will. But don't give up until true love will find you in the end. This is a promise with a catch. Only if you're looking can it find you, cause true love is searching too. But how can it recognize you unless you step out into the light, the light? Don't be sad, I know you will, but don't give up until... Don't give up until true love will find you in the end. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate Endless blind passions I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate The great way of Buddha I vow to attain All beings without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions. 
I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow 